good evening good day and greetings to everybody welcome to this year's final episode of the indian interest interest podcast so as is customary for us let let me first greet uh, those of you who are on the live chat right now let's see who all is there i can see prasham unnati and dugu video shriram mohan eddie ebenstein general dyer bhavna ram samir yashas aryan saini shivaji ithape Siva Verma 111, Aghora, Samarth Acharya, Amanjot Singh, Pankaj, Atul, Kanishk, Akash Dikshit, Durga M, GK, Deepegs, Debosman, Arnav, Carpenter, PJ, Deb Burma, Richie, Arun, Rajat Chopra, Anup, Divya, Abhishek, Jasman, Raj Singh, Bhavna, Bhavya Deep Rathor, 8B15, Anish Kumar, Lone Rider, Vaibhav, Jimmy, SS Up, Melvin, Ronald, Divya, Kanishka, lots of other people, Amol, Anmol, Aditya, Pankaj, Suraj, Vladimir, Stalin, <laughs> Jong Jina, Akash, Ajay Kumar, Satyam, Priyanshi, Shivan, Shivansh, Tejas, Max, Anil Chaudhary, Aditya, Venkat Raman, Raja Gopalan, Aditya, to the moon, Diablo, and lots and lots of other people. Swati, Shubham, Kartik, lots of Adityas tonight. Shagun, Chopra, Pankaj, Devanshu, and everybody else. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So uh, this is the final podcast for this year. And we're going to do a year in review. We're going to do a recap of the year 2022. The, the major, the main important events that happened from my perspective. Obviously, I can't cover everything, but I'll talk about some of the major events uh, that are important from our perspective. And I will also <clears throat> speak about what could happen in the year 2023. What to look for? What should we look forward to? Right. So let's uh, talk about the things that happened in the year 2022. So we went into the year 2022 with the world reeling from the coronavirus pandemic, the, the pandemic that began in Wuhan, China in 2019. So the world went through these multiple waves of the pandemic, including India. Overall, India did far better than most nations. India, uh, I would say that India uh, dealt with the, the pandemic far better than most nations. And yet uh, the economy suffered. We had these multiple lockdowns. We had multiple waves. So the world overall was reeling from the coronavirus pandemic, some nations more than others, and so on. So that's one of the things that... that uh, was already there when we came into the year 2022. Uh, we also had the uh, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. The U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan, handed over power to the Taliban. So that is one one of the major things that happened in the previous year. And going into the year 2022, we had this shadow hanging over Ukraine. The Russian buildup was visible on the borders of Ukraine, and it was the buildup was getting stronger. The military buildup uh, of Russia. On the, on the borders of Ukraine. So that's what we had going into the year 2022. Now, uh, I'll go through some of the things that happened in the year 2022. I have my notes in front of me so that uh, I don't miss anything. So in January 2022, the number of COVID cases worldwide exceeded 300 million. Yeah, 300 million cases were exceeded worldwide in January 2022 itself. And the COVID pandemic threw up a lot of interesting and, and, and strange circumstances. For instance, uh, 
in January, you had the Australian Open tennis tournament and the world number one, Novak Djokovic, was deported from Australia after being very badly mistreated. And his crime was that he was not vaccinated. Yeah. So uh, that is something that kind of surprised and shocked the world. And what's very surprising is that a few months later, in, in, the, in the last quarter of the year, in October, you had, uh, there was this uh, T20 World Cup, Cricket World Cup in Australia. And you had this Australian cricket player, Matthew Wade, who had tested positive for the virus and he was made eligible to play in the Australia-England match at the MCG. The match ended up being abandoned by rain. But this is a clear case of double standards. Even in the Commonwealth Games that happened uh, in England, uh, the, the Commonwealth Games gold medal match between India and Australia, you had an Australian player, Talia McGrath, who was who had tested positive and she was allowed to play in this match. So very strange case of double standards that we witnessed in the very beginning of the year with the treatment that was meted out to the world number one, Novak Djokovic in Australia. Um, so yeah, there, there, was an, there was a strange and rather interesting and curious start to the year considering the cloud of the pandemic that was hanging uh, over the entire world. And then, as, as we know, we had the cloud, the dark cloud hanging over Ukraine. And this burst into rain, you could say, on February 26th of the year, when the president of Russia, Mr. Putin, ordered the what he calls the special military operation in Ukraine, which the rest of the world calls the Ukraine invasion. And that so that began on February 26th. And initially, most observers believed most, if not many, if not most observers were of the opinion that the Russians will steamroll Ukraine in a matter of days or weeks. They will flatten Ukraine the way the Americans are used to flattening various nations through the shock and oh massive bombardment campaign. The Russians did none of this, none of the, none of the sort of that sort of thing. Um, their invasion was very precise, very slow, very deliberate. Of course, over the over the the first main city that they captured was Kherson. And over time, they captured various parts of Ukraine, the Donbas region. Eventually, the Donbas was reintegrated or, or integrated into Russia through a presidential decree. And then you had the withdrawals from various parts of, of uh, Ukraine that had been captured by Russia, uh, principally in, in Kharkiv and th then later in Kherson. And right now, the situation is kind of stable, kind of stagnant. It's like the calm behind before the storm. Uh, the Rasputitsa season, the mud season is kind of getting over now. We are now officially in winter. So uh, most analysts believe that there could be or there will be a massive winter offensive by Russia, perhaps in January, uh, which is next month. And that could kind of uh, be the next phase of the Ukraine conflict and uh, yeah, so, so that's the situation that we are in right now. So one of the major events of the year 2022, which has affected the entire world, has been the Ukraine invasion. It has very rapidly reshaped the world geopolitical uh, map. Uh, and it's, it's kind of brought into sharp relief in detail where various nations, uh, their allegiances lie. It has brought into sharp focus the various geopolitical fault lines in the world. It's become very clear what the EU is, what NATO is. Uh, it's become very clear where India stands. India has and now has a very clear and strong independent foreign policy. India has refused to, to, to accede to the demands, accede to the demands of the West or of anybody else in this matter. 
the West has imposed all kinds of sanctions on Russia, and yet the Russian economy is doing okay. It's not doing very poorly. The Russian ruble has become stronger because they they tied it to the price of gold. The Americans have imposed a an oil price cap recently on Russia. India has refused uh, to for, to accede to that oil price cap. Russia has now prohibited exports oil exports to nations that uh, insist on the oil price cap and so on. So all of these things happened in the year 2022. Uh, it was a very, very, uh, it was a pivotal event, the Ukraine invasion. And it was something that was threatening to happen from the mid-2010s onward, uh, 10, onwards, especially after the, the regime change operation that the Americans effected in Ukraine, the so-called Maidan revolution, which was essentially a coup against the elected uh, government. And it installed a puppet regime of the U.S. in Ukraine, and then later, Mr. Zelensky came to was was placed or or he was elected to power, whatever you want to call it, and now he is essentially, uh, uh, well, he's he's he was an actor who is performing essentially every day. He recently went to the U.S., met the U.S. Uh, president, Mr. Biden, and so on. So that's the situation where we are in. It's been a very pivotal event in world geopolitics. Uh, in the future, when histories are histories are written, they, they will talk about pre-Ukraine and post-Ukraine, the, the history of the world in, in that shape. So it's been kind of a defining point in world geopolitics. And, and, and the geopolitical uh, alignment, configuration of the world has very rapidly changed after this thing, after, after the invasion of Ukraine. So this is a situation that is still in play. And um, it looks like the Russians could have a major offensive, major military op offensive, winter offensive, may most likely in January next year, because by, by February, March, you have the second Rasputitsa season, the spring season, in which you have mud. So if you want to have major um, armored advances and tank advances in a nation like Ukraine, in a, in a territory like Ukraine, you need to do it when the ground is firm, which is when the ground is frozen in winter. So most likely that's what we are going to see. Um, and it's like I said, it's brought out India's foreign policy in sharp relief. India is now a nation whose uh, voice has weight, whose opinion has weight, and whose actions reverberate across the entire world. Whose, in, India is a nation whose actions, to a certain extent, have a significant impact on world geopolitics. So... Uh, so it's been a pivotal year for the whole world, including for India. It's it's brought India's economy into sharp relief. Uh, the Indian rupee is now an, uh, a currency that is significantly in focus. So all of that has happened post-February 26, when the Ukraine invasion happened. And it's also brought out uh, the, the inherent strengths that Russia has as a nation. As we know, Russia is a, is a major, uh, very... It's the largest nation nation state in the world right now. It straddles Eastern Europe as well as the entirety of Northern Eurasia. It uh, it is the the mythical heartland of Mackinder, right? It is it it contains about fifty percent, roughly, of the entire world's natural resources, which makes Russia what is called an autarky, a nation that is self sufficient in all essential commodities and all essential uh, items, such as uh, things like agriculture, things like minerals, metals, oil, gas, steel, all the all the things that you need to be self-sufficient as a nation. Russia is one of the few nations that has this advantage, and that's all been brought out uh, and, and brought out into fo focus 
as a result of the uh, February 26 Russian invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent sanctions that were imposed on Russia by the West. And Russia has been able to withstand these sanctions uh, quite strongly. So that's where we are vis-a-vis the the Ukraine invasion. It's something that is still in progress and it's something that India needs to keep a very uh, keen uh, eye on because it's going to affect how 2023 goes as well. Yes. Uh, So that was in February 26, uh, on February 26 this year. Then in early March, we had this curious incident of an Indian BrahMos missile that made its way into Pakistan. So the BrahMos missile that, uh, it's, I mean, India hasn't confirmed whether it's a BrahMos missile or not, but from the photographs that we saw and all, it's quite clear it was a supersonic BrahMos missile. So the missile was launched from Sirsa in Haryana, and it made its way into Mia Channu in Pakistan-occupied Punjab, Pakistan uh, Punjab for now. Yeah, uh, the missile flew 120 plus kilometers inside Pakistani-held territory uh, for more than three and a half minutes, and then it uh, uh, it made impact on on some kind of residential area where you had buildings but but no people were were killed as a result of this uh, the firing of this missile so india gave a statement that this was a technical malfunction and india said this was deeply regrettable we did not intend to do this do this but it kind of exposed certain aspects of pakistan uh, of the pakistani military certain capabilities whether they are in, able to monitor Indian missile launches, what kind of reaction time do they have? It, it it brought everything out into sharp detail, right? So the missile took less than four minutes to to inside Pakistani territory to to impact the target, uh, and uh, there was no reaction from Pakistan, whether in the in the in the in the sense of any counter missile launch, you know, an attempt to take the, bring the missile down or some kind of retaliation for Pakistan. There was absolutely nothing. The Pakistanis complained on Twitter in, in, in a press conference. They showed that the trajectory of the missile, the path, the path it took, it took a sharp turn towards the West and entered Pakistan, all that. Uh, they, it looks like they were able to track the missile, but uh, they were not able to to counter it, to bring it down, or to retaliate in any manner. Obviously, it, it did not go towards any vital installation, but even if it did, there was no time for them to react. So I've said in the past that whenever there is a war, whenever, whenever there's a war the next time between India and Pakistan, that next war has to be the final war between India and Pakistan. And India needs to ensure that the outcome of the war is decided in the first five minutes. So uh, this uh, accidental missile launch into Pakistan took less than four minutes. It, it hit the target within less than four minutes. Let's say it was accidental, like we have officially said and all that. We had an inquiry, internal inquiry, and some some statement was was made. But yes, it the, the missile reached its target in less than four minutes. So if you, so that kind of tells you that India is very much capable of ensuring that the outcome of the next war is decided within the first five minutes. One BrahMos missile launch, accidental launch, has made it quite clear. Now the Pakistanis obviously will have learned some lessons from this. So this is, um, maybe it was an accidental launch maybe it was a demonstration of what the brahmos can do for potential customers potential clients maybe it was um, 
something else but this is what happened we have the fact the facts are very clear it was a launch from sirsa haryana into pakistan it hit a place in mia chunu in pakistan occupied punjab three and a half to four minutes less than four minutes in uh, more than 120 kilometers inside pakistan the missile was able to fly so it kind of it was a missile that did not have a warhead the missile the impact was purely kinetic there was no warhead on the missile either conventional or not so that's what we know it's an interesting event that happened and it's kind of uh, it tells us about pakistan's capabilities of uh, it tells us about india's capabilities and uh, yes this could be something that will be kept in mind in the next war whenever if it happens right uh, now talking about pakistan we also know what what happened in pakistan in april so uh, so the day that the russians uh, launched their special operation in ukraine that day mr imran khan the ex prime minister of pakistan that day he had he was on a visit to russia that day itself and it is on that day that mr putin announced the special operation in ukraine the special military operation in ukraine so mr uh, imran khan did meet with mr putin briefly i don't know how long it took the meeting was it was a brief meeting it was not of great consequence and that meeting kind of set the tone for the eventual ouster of mr imran khan from the post of prime minister of pakistan uh, which happened in early april i think it happened on april 9th so on april 9 there was a no confidence motion in the pakistan uh, parliament or whatever it's called and mr imran khan was was uh, removed from power as a consequence and a couple of days later uh, mr sharif the 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 other mr sharif mr shabaz sharif was appointed the prime minister of pakistan he is the brother of the of of the previous former prime minister mr nawaz sharif who is currently in exile in in england in i think he will he stays in london for now yeah so his brother mr shahbaz sharif who has been the chief minister of pakistan occupied punjab for for a few terms he has now been made the prime minister of pakistan and he has kept a very low profile he he essentially reads out from a script and uh, and the other thing that happened as a consequence of this, this is that pakistan is now very much firmly back into the us camp for about a decade or so pakistan was a chinese vassal state and we have seen the consequences of that the the, the china pakistan economic corridor the investments that the chinese were supposed to make make into pakistan which have not quite fructified yes all of that was happening but the pakistanis were referring to the chinese as their iron brother mr imran khan visited beijing and he, and he met with mr xi jinping at least once i believe so there was close coordination between pakistan and china uh, there are reports of the chinese uh, having established certain uh, you know uh, outposts of or whatever you want to call it within pakistan occupied kashmir some portion of the uh, china pakistan economic corridor passes through pakistan occupied kashmir illegally occupied indian territory temporarily yes um and there are reports of the chinese having soldiers stationed within pakistan occupied kashmir so all of this was a very clear indicator of the fact of the of the of the fact that pakistan was china's vassal state they were depending on china for for you know economic uh, succor and all that yes s u c c o u r by the way or o r so they were relying on china for that uh, the pakistan army essentially owns the country and the pakistan army always needs sources of funds which typically come from outside so they are a mercenary army who serve a very specific geopolitical purpose because of the way pakistan has been constructed and the kind of territory it occupies 
the the overall aim of pakistan is to cut off india from central asia and to be a bulwark against the rise of india for whatever power is employing the uh, pakistan army as a mercenary uh, organization so china did it for a decade and then now the americans are back in the saddle with the ouster of mr imran khan and with the uh, appointment of mr shahbaz sharif as the current prime minister of pakistan so pakistan is now very firmly back in the us camp pakistan is now a us vassal state that's one of the important uh, events that occurred in 2022 and as a consequence of the newfound uh, relationship between pakistan and the us we are we are seeing that the pakistanis have been taken off the fatf gray list the french had a had a significant role to play in this and nations like south korea and japan are now investing significant amounts of money into pakistan and we also know that the americans are offering the pakistanis a, an upgrade package for their f16 fighter planes um, the americans are also referring to the illegally pakistan occupied part of kashmir temporarily as az the so called azad jnk that's the kind of statement the american ambassador to the pakistan to pakistan made so we are seeing this very uh, stark turn that the us pakistan relationship has taken the chinese are trying to salvage something from from what they can from their erstwhile relationship with pakistan so they are the pakistanis have also gone begging to china once again uh, for more for more money or for a loan waiver or or a deferral of the loan repayment and all that so that some some relationship still exists but pakistan is now very much firmly in the american camp so they will do what the americans tell them to do and that's something we need to keep an eye on right um now uh i remember in 2021 i had uh, i have done multiple podcasts with ranveer alawadia it's it's really fun talking to him every time so i think in one of the first uh, conversations i had with him i had rather unfortunately referred to the 2020s as the decade of the virus i had said it's likely that it's not just one virus that is causing trouble for us the wuhan uh, coronavirus but there could be more viruses so i had said that the 2020s could end up being the decade of the virus and i i hope i am proven very very wrong in that but in may a new virus made its made its uh, raised it its head uh, the the so called monkeypox virus so the who in may uh, declared the uh, a, mon- a monkeypox outbreak to be a public health emergency of international concern so this is the, the monkeypox virus is different from the coronavirus the, the wuhan coronavirus the monkeypox virus is first of all a dna virus the covid-19 virus is a rna virus and the monkeypox virus has a double stranded dna and the uh, covid-19 virus has a single stranded rna within it right so it's quite different so so the monkeypox is now a, a public health emergency of international concern there are more than 80000 cases thus far as of today i think more than 83000 cases by, uh, as of today and approximately 20 or so cases have occurred in india so it's something that all nations are keeping a close watch on and it's something that uh, we need to ensure doesn't go out of hand and so yeah that that big alarm was raised in may by the who and uh, one hopes that the 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 international community can get its act together and ensure that this thing is stamped out before it becomes anything worse than what it is yeah so i think that, overall the situation is under control see 
at any given point in time, there's always a bunch of viruses circulating around the world. Viruses, bacteria, protozoans, and whatnot, all kinds of microorganisms that cause illnesses amongst human beings. Malaria has always been a thing. Dengue has been a thing for a long time. There are other older illnesses like tuberculosis and 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 what are the other things? There are various illnesses that have always been around. So all of these illnesses and, and outbreaks, some of them are essentially endemic to some parts of the world. These all have to be constantly monitored and, and, and essentially dealt with. So maybe the monkeypox is just one of these. Ebola has an outbreak in, in Western Africa, Southwestern Africa from time to time. So all of these, every, every region of the world has certain viruses or certain microorganisms that are harmful to humans that are endemic to the place. So, so it needs to be it's need, it needs to be monitored very strongly, very thoroughly, constantly monitored. And uh, so, yeah, the monkeypox was declared as an emergency. Thus far, it's been under control, and one hopes it stays under control. We don't want any more of this nonsense. We have had enough of of the pandemic business. So that is a a thing of concern that occurred in May. What else occurred in May? So first of all, in March this year, we had the the Sri Lanka problem. The beginning March of the, of 2022, there were these protests all across Sri Lanka. Um, there were shortages of all kinds of essential, essential items and commodities in Sri Lanka. Shortage of food, so shortage of, of, of milk powder, shortage of fuel, uh, rolling blackouts, large parts of the country without electricity. Sri Lanka was essentially going bankrupt uh, under the rule of the Rajapaksas. Uh, Mr. Gotabaya Rajapaksa was the president at the time and Mr. Mahinda Rajapaksa was the prime minister. So uh, these protests eventually came to a head and in May this year, Mr. Mahinda Rajapaksa resigned as the prime minister of Sri Lanka in early May. And a couple of days later, Mr. Ranil Vikramasinghe became the new prime minister of Sri Lanka. Now, the thing is that Mr. Ranil Vikramasinghe is an old hand at Sri Lankan politics. And he is also an old Western hand. He has been involved with the IMF, the the the, the uh, International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the World Economic Forum, whatnot. He is deep into all this. So it's not like it's some new hope for Sri Lanka. It's just another iteration of the same old, same old uh, politics. One doesn't see any new, any bright young politician emerge out of Sri Lanka. It's always a case of recycling older politicians. It's either Basil Rajapaksa or Gotabaya Rajapaksa or Mahindra Rajapaksa or Ranil Vikramasinghe or, or somebody else from that vintage. That's what keeps going on. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened in May. Mr. Uh, Mahindra Rajapaksa resigned from the Prime Ministership and Mr. Ranil Vikramasinghe took over a couple of days later. That was in May. Now, this is something that's not over in May. It, it continues. So we'll talk about it again in July. In July, on the 8th of July this year, there was the extremely unfortunate case uh, event in Japan, the assassination of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Mr. Shinzo Abe has been the longest serving Prime Minister of Japan in the post-World War II era. And he is the one prime minister who wanted significant reforms. He wanted, in Japan, he wanted the, uh, he was in favor, favor of, of, of changing the, uh, amending the constitution of japan which has been written by the uh, by the by the invaders by the by the occupiers the american occupiers 
he wanted that to be uh, to be amended he wanted japan to to develop a proper army instead of the self defense forces very limited self defense forces that it currently has he wanted japan to once again have the right to wage war in 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 defense of its national interests and so all of that you know so he was a very nationalistic politician he was the only politician who was capable if at all to to take japan in 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 a positive direction as we know since 1945 japan has been under permanent and very strong us occupation permanent us occupation the americans have more than 120 permanent military bases on japanese territory uh, nothing happens in japan without american consent whatever low level small de- internal decisions have to be taken the japanese can do it do that on their own but any major decision within japan has to be taken only with the approval of the united states yes um that is that has been the case in japan the, the monetary policy the bank of japan everything is controlled by the americans we had the plaza accords in the 1980s which essentially ended up ruining japan's economy japan had become the second largest economy in the world it was threatening to displace the us you know that's how uh, vibrant and energetic the japanese economy was and it's been totally ruined uh, so mr shinzo abe wanted japan to become kind of independent of the us eventually and uh, so mr abe was was may he for some reason inexplicably stepped down from the position of prime minister of japan a couple of years ago two three years ago don't remember exactly when it was it was not very long ago he voluntarily stepped down he said that he had he has health issues and he needs to step down and then the revolving door of of japanese prime ministers again started currently who is it mr kishida is the prime minister currently let's see how long how long he lasts so um, mr shinzo abe voluntarily stepped down maybe he was made to step down for whatever reason and in july this year he was assassinated and and uh, it is now being said that the assassin acted alone he was he had some mental issues and uh, that's it so we would understand that assassins hold a gun typically and they use a gun but we have to also understand that the assassin himself or herself is also a weapon that somebody else uses so typically the investigation will end at the motives of the assassin himself that yeah he had so and so mental issues or so and so beliefs and that's why he did this but it won't go beyond that as to who may be controlling or influencing that person yeah and whether that person was being was simply a pawn in somebody else's hand so none of that has happened uh the explanation that's given is that this person had certain motives of his own something to do with some church or something or other i don't it doesn't really matter and the matter has been closed at that so the question is who did it benefit it clearly benefited uh, the uh, whichever forces are there in japan which do not want any change to the status quo uh, so it benefited those so now mr kishida is in power uh, the shinzo abe's party won the next general election with a massive majority it now has the wherewithal to change the, the constitution of japan but no such thing is uh, is on the cards yeah so japan has gone back to the status quo and there is no politician japanese politician on the horizon who can match mr shinzo abe's stature and who wants to take the actions that mr shinzo abe wanted to take for the sake of the japanese national interest so that was the and mr shinzo abe was genuinely a friend of india i always say that the, there is no friendship in geopolitics i always say that 
but in certain rare cases one one can see an exception and mr shinzo abe was most likely an exception he was genuinely a friend of friend of india yes he was not doing it just for the sake of india japan cooperation and geopolitics uh, shared interests and whatever there was some genuine warmth um, on the behalf, on on the part of mr shinzo abe for india and in india as as a civilization there there is there are civilizational ties between india and japan so so in i would say that india first of all it is a great tragedy for japan that they lost a, a great leader of his caliber of his stature he is his loss is essentially irreplaceable irreplaceable for japan and india also lost a, a really good and strong friend so it was a double tragedy from that perspective yeah so that's something that happened in 2022 very very regrettable very unfortunate uh in july we uh, also had the first images from the james webb space telescope so typically i talk about geopolitics but just putting it out there because science is one of my if not my primary interest so yes we have the first images coming in from the james webb space telescope in just a few months it's kind of up and not appended but revolutionized our understanding of the universe and it's thrown out new data that kind of changes everything we have thus far understood about the universe uh the mission was launched on christmas day in 2021 it went off flawlessly the the telescope is now in its final position it's it's sending back uh, science data it's been hit by a micrometeoroid meteoroid but they are able to uh, they have been able to make the instrument work and hopefully it 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 stays operational for a long time hopefully longer than what has been planned and it's definitely already revolutionizing our our understanding of the universe so that is a um, uh, good news overall so now i i spoke about sri lanka then in july so so mr uh, mr gotabaya mr gotabaya rajapaksa was the president of sri lanka mr mahinda rajapaksa his brother resigned as prime minister in may replaced by ranil vikramasinghe this is in may and in july just a couple of months later mr uh, gotabaya rajapaksa and the rest of his family they fled from sri lanka the the protests uh, became more uh what would you call it uh became stronger uh and eventually mr gotabaya rajapaksa resigned from the presidency of sri lanka and he and his family fled on a sri lankan destroyer naval destroyer a warship as if it was their private property and i'm not quite sure where they are now it doesn't really matter yep so that's what happened in july and after mr gotabaya rajapaksa fled from sri lanka uh, mr ranil vikramasinghe replaced him eventually as the president of sri lanka and that is what the status is as of now in july at the end of july on 31st of july we also had this news that came out of afghanistan that mr al ayman al zawahiri who was the boss of al qaeda after the death of osama bin laden so apparently ayman al zawahiri al zawahiri was residing in kabul city and on july 31 it was announced that the cia the united states cia had conducted an air strike on on mr zawahiri in kabul and he was killed as a result and most likely obviously this air strike was carried out from pakistani territory so there is as you can see pakistan is back in the us camp they they had stopped allowing the americans to use pakistani territory for drone flights and drone operations now it's on again so this 
was done from Pakistani territory. The drone fell, uh, flew into Afghanistan and it took out Mr. Zawahiri, Al-Zawahiri in his residence in Kabul through a using a missile, most likely a Hellfire missile or some other missile uh, of, of, of similar capabilities. Yeah, Of course, we have never been presented with evidence of the death of Ayman al-Zawahiri. No photographic evidence, nothing. The same as Mr. Bin Laden. Uh, they announced that we have done this and we are made, we are asked to believe it. So the world's media has uh, taken this, uh, believed this unquestioningly and reported it as if it has happened. Maybe it has happened, but we have never been presented with any actual evidence. But anyway, that's something that happened at the end of July this year. Then you have this unfortunate event in Pakistan between June and October 2022, the Pakistan floods. Terrible flooding uh, in Pakistan because of, of uh, excessive rainfall during the Indian monsoon. Pakistan is obviously part of the Indian subcontinent. It's on, yeah, we, we know where it is. We, I don't have to remind you. So the Indian monsoon on the Pakistani side was, was very strong this time. Yes, uh, excessive rainfall which caused this massive spate of flooding from June all the way into mid-October or so, 2022. Enormous economic damage, yeah. Uh, the damage has been approximated to be to, to be around the, the $15 billion mark, that much damage, and another $15 billion or so of economic losses in Pakistan as a byproduct, as an as, uh, as an after effect of all, all of this flooding. Uh, so yes, there was, and, and I don't know how many lives have been lost, definitely more than a thousand, way more than a thousand, I, uh, I assume. I, I remember reading about at least a thousand uh, lives that were lost as a consequence of the flooding. So very unfortunate for our, our neighbors in Pakistan, our Pakistani brothers and sisters, terrible. And one thing that is curious is that uh, in the city of, I don't know, was it Harappa or Mohenjadaro? In the city, I think it was, I think it was Harappa. So the flooding happened all across the place, but in, Har in Harappa, the flooding was drained out very quickly because of the 5,000-year-old drainage system of Harappa city. So that 5,000-year-old drainage system which our ancestors constructed all the five millennia ago, it still works. And it drained out all of the excess water from this place. So that's curious. The, the drainage system that our ancestors built five, okay, it was Mohenjo-daro. Mazar Chachar says Mohenjo-daro. All right, it's, it's Mohenjo-daro. So this drainage system that our ancestors, the ancestors of Indians, Pakistanis, Afghans, all of them, our ancestors, they built five millennia ago. It still works. And it's superior to the drainage systems that we have within the Indian subcontinent today, which is rather strange. One would laugh if it were not a tragedy. Yeah. So yes, that is the, the terrible thing that happened in Pakistan. Um, I do not have any sense of shaden fuida. Yes, it is. It is. It is indeed genuinely a sad event. We don't. We, you don't want to see any loss of life anywhere. Yeah. And most of the people who are affected, either directly or indirectly, are. Well, common civilians, yeah, they've, so yeah, that, that's uh, something that happened and it's very unfortunate. Then uh, we come to the situation in the United Kingdom, <laughs> uh, the, the merry-go-round of the prime minister's position. So you had uh, Mr. Boris Johnson, who was, who became the prime minister of the UK in 2019, mid-July or so in 2019. So he he was ousted from power for whatever reasons in September 2022. 
6th of September 22, he was ousted from power. He essentially resigned from his position as Prime Minister. Then the same day, Liz Truss, Liz Elizabeth Truss took over as the Prime Minister of the UK on September 6, and she resigned on October 25. She was in power for 50 days. She was not in power, but she was in the seat of the Prime Minister of the UK for 50 days, the shortest ever tenure of any Prime Minister of the UK as far as I know. As I know. Yeah, just 50 days. She lasted 50 days. And then Mr. Rishi Sunak, the Indian origin uh, politician, became the Prime Minister of the UK on October 25. And he is still the Prime Minister of the UK. Let's see how long his tenure lasts. Typically, nowadays, the UK has become just like Japan. The prime minister's position is, is something that undergoes a merry-go-round. They come and go, they come and go, they do nothing of any significance. And nobody remembers after a few years who was, in, who was the prime minister in a certain year. So you had people like uh, Gordon Brown. Uh, who else was there? You had Mr. Cameron. Mr. Cameron was there and there was the other lady, what's her name? I forget the lady's name. I, I apologize. I do not mean to disrespect anyone, but I can't remember the other lady's name. Uh, what was her name? Yeah, sorry. I can't remember the other lady's name. So it's it's kind of a merry-go-round. It's kind of a revolving door. So right now we have Mr. Rishi Sunak, who is the, the Prime Minister of the UK. And let's see how long that lasts. Uh, as we all know, the UK is, is a US like we like we say ah theresa may joseph joseph stalin reminds me theresa may theresa may yeah so the uk is a us vassal state and it doesn't really matter who is the, who is the prime minister of the uk because they all are handed a script that they have to read from yeah so yeah it's currently mr rishi sunak and mr rishi sunak obviously was overjoyed as anybody should be to become the prime minister of the of their nation and uh, he participated in the g20 summit he he's the only leader who looked kind of happy everybody else all the other g7 leaders who were part of the g20 summit did not look very happy but mr rishi sunak was clearly happy because he was a newly minted prime minister yeah so mr rishi, rishi sunak uh, is now the prime minister of the uk um, in August, uh, that was the, the speaker of the speaker of the U.S. House, was it Nancy Pelosi, the speaker of one of the two houses of the uh, U.S. government? She, uh, yeah, most likely the lower house. She visited Taiwan. Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan on a two-day visit in early August 2022. On August two. And she went there in the face of very strong Chinese protests and threats. The Chinese essentially threatened to invade Taiwan and, and, and shoot down the plane and God knows what. All kinds of extremely uh, strong threats were issued by the Chinese uh, because of the impending visit of Nancy Pelosi to, China, to, to, to Taiwan. She went ahead anyway. She was there on August 2 and August 3. And she... Uh, did whatever she was supposed to do. She did all the various political and international engagements that she had planned in Taiwan. And then she departed from Taiwan. So the visit went off smoothly. The Chinese could do nothing. 
Yeah, all their threats turned out to be empty. In, ret in, re in retaliation, in response, the Chinese conducted a, a very, very extensive military exercises around Taiwan. The Chinese military essentially encircled Taiwan from August 4 to August 7. It, it, it looked like for a time, it looked for a time like they would impose a long blockade on the island of Taiwan. But then after August 7, it kind of dissipated. So their threats turned out to be threats in vain. Yes, for all their military might and all that, the Chinese are in no position to, to take back Taiwan. And they were forced at the last minute to, well, not uh, make their threats come true. So uh, so it's clear that the, that the Chinese are in no position even today, despite whatever military strength they have, to even take back their neighboring island, which they claim as their own, from the US, which is an entire ocean and a half away. Yeah. So that kind of uh, tells you the dilemma that the Chinese have. They, their economy has been, well, it's it's been devastated by the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, their military strength is great on paper. They now have the largest navy in the world numerically. And yet they are not even in a position to take back Taiwan, which is right next door to them. So that's something that happened in August. It was, you could say, in a way, a kind of humiliation for the Chinese. And the, the Chinese netizens were very upset about this. They went on their social media site, Weibo, whatever it is. And they expressed certain opinions that were very quickly scrubbed and censored. So that's what happened. In September, we had the commissioning of the INS Vikrant, the first indigenously built aircraft carrier of India. So it was commissioned into the Indian Navy on September 2 by the Prime Minister of India. Now I have, as you know, uh, viewers, regular viewers of this channel will know that I have always argued against India inducting aircraft carriers. Yes, because, because of a variety of reasons. You are concentrating your lethality into one ship. It is always a better alternative to distribute your lethality across numerous combat vessels and assets of the Indian Navy and distribute it geographically over a wide area instead of con concentrating everything in one place. So I say, my argument is very clear. We have limited resources, limited money. You can build a large number of, of highly lethal surface and subsurface naval assets for the price of one aircraft carrier. And you can distribute them over a large area instead of concentrating everything in one place. So my argument is very simple that that it is a better use of the limited resources and money to, to you know, instead of building aircraft carriers, build other kinds of surface ves vessels and submarines and spread them out. And that would distribute India, the Indian Navy's lethality across the area of our interest. Anyhow, now we have two aircraft carriers, the Vikramaditya and the Vikrant. I, I, it's good. They will certainly serve a certain purpose. Uh, all I would say is that let's not uh, invest more billions of dollars into one more. Let's rather use that money elsewhere um, in, in whatever way serves the Indian national interest from the naval perspective the best. But the, the fact that India was able to, to build an aircraft carrier entirely indigenously is testament to India India's engineering and, engineering and scientific prowess. It tells you that India can build ships of that size and capability entirely on its own. That is a fantastic achievement. I would like to congratulate the engineers and the scientists and whoever else is involved in this. And that tells you that India can 
with the right amount of money start producing lots of naval assets you know destroyers corvettes and other kinds of ships we also have an existing scorpion submarine production line we should not let that fall out of use into disrepair so uh, so yeah the indian navy needs to step up to the plate and uh, counter the rising chinese threat in the indian ocean region and that can only happen if the political leadership is willing to do that we are seeing the willingness to do that we are seeing new naval assets being built and commissioned we need we need to have more of that in order to be able to counter the chinese threat numerically in the indian ocean quantity has a quality of its own that's what joseph stalin said so that's something that uh, an adage that is true and that's something we need to keep in mind our and hopefully our our military planners etc are are going to keep that in mind hopefully so that's something that happened in 2022 september ins vikrant was commissioned great job to everyone uh, concerned then in september we had the demise the 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 demise of the queen of england the british queen elizabeth the second she died at a very advanced age she was in her 90s if i'm not mistaken she died on september 8 and her son charles the third prince charles now became king charles the third in a shocking act of undemocratic nepotism yeah just because he was he's he was born to her as, as the as the eldest son or whatever reason that's why he was made the king of england there was no democratic election in 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 england for the king the king obviously is an the, the the royalty the monarchy is an completely undemocratic institution yes uh, so these nations that that lecture india about democracy etc they themselves uh, follow these extremely undemocratic and archaic traditions of having a king or a queen in the system of monarchy with people who are in line for the throne and all that yeah shocking act of undemocratic nepotism making charles 3 the king of england anyhow so they have a king now and they would say long live or god save whatever the king etc yeah good for them cheerio um so the lady uh, died on september 8 the the brutal queen of england yes under whose rule lots of brutality has been perpetrated by the british yeah she in a sense continued the traditions of her ancestors of uh of having colonies of 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 interfering in the internal affairs of various uh, nations in africa and asia undemocratically and so on the 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 mau mau rebellion in kenya was brutally crushed under her leadership lots of atrocities were perpetrated and so so much more so she was no different from anybody else from from any of her ancestors so she died on september 8 her son was made the king uh the queen's funeral the queen of england's funeral the british queen's funeral was on september 19 and for some reason apparently it was the most watched tv event in human history in world history um and i'm sure lots of people from india must have also watched it which which i find perplexing but that's human nature yeah then in in september itself september uh, we had an escalation of the armenia azerbaijan conflict yeah there were clashes in early in 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 mid september between september 10 to september 15 clashes between uh, armenia and azerbaijan all instigated by azerbaijan this is a continuation of the 2021 
border conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, which again was initiated and instigated by the Azerbaijanis, yes. Um, and it's typically the Azerbaijanis who are coming out on top. They are they are perpetrating the standard Turkic brutalities on the on the hapless and unfortunate people of Armenia. Armenia is an ancient nation that is, well, the Turks, the, the Turkic peoples essentially have targeted it for extermination. They want to create a trans-Turan corridor or whatever in this one nation is in the way. So that's the situation. So Turkey is supporting Azerbaijan. Israel is supporting Azerbaijan. India is supporting Armenia. That's where we are. So that's something that happened in September this year. Again, in the middle of September, September 15 and 16, we had the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, SCO, summit in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. Mr. Modi went there. Mr. Xi Jinping was there and various other leaders were there. And Mr. Modi and Mr. Xi Jinping did not interact with each other. They did not as much as nod to each other and say hello. So that tells you uh, how... how cold and how poor the India-China relationship was in September as a consequence of the 2020 Galwan clashes, Galwan clash in which close to 100 Chinese soldiers died and, and 20 Indian soldiers died, yes. So, um, and it is all China's fault. They are the ones who are initiating and instigating these these border clashes by crossing over, by attempting to cross over into Indian territory. Yeah, they already hold Aksai Chin illegally. They already hold the Shaksgam corridor illegally. They already hold Tibet illegally. So the Chinese are the problem here. So the SCO summit came and went without any interaction between uh, Prime Minister Modi and President Xi Jinping. Yes. And then something curious happened. So the, uh, the, the summit ended, the SCO summit ended on September 16. And that very day, Mr. Xi Jinping went back to Beijing. He landed in Beijing on September 16. And then he disappeared for about 10 days. And there were these massive swirling rumors of a coup against Mr. Xi Jinping. Uh, some uh, people speculated, some, some publications speculated that, that, that he had been arrested. He was under house arrest. He had been deposed by some Chinese general of the so-called PLA, People's Liberation Army. All kinds of rumors were making the, the rounds um, in, in the media and in social media and so on. So for about 10 days, Mr. Xi Jinping was invisible. He he disappeared from the public eye. Typically, as the president of China, as the leader of China, you are visible every day. You have public appearances every day. So he disappeared for about 10 days. And we, we don't quite know what happened. There were rumors of a coup. I speculated that there was a consolidation of power happening in China uh, in, uh, in advance of the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, which was supposed to happen in mid-October. yeah. So mid-September, Mr. Xi Jinping disappears. Maybe there was an internal purge happening, a consolidation of power within the Chinese Communist Party by Mr. Xi Jinping himself, you know, getting rid of opposition, arresting dissidents, and, and God knows what. So the details of what happened have never ever been made public. But Mr. Xi Jinping obviously reappeared. He reappeared stronger than ever. And in October, for a week or so, there was a week-long event in Beijing, the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, in which Mr. Xi Jinping was elected, selected, whatever you want to call it, for an unprecedented third term as the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, So he is now essentially the de facto emperor of, the, of China. And the Chinese Communist Party is essentially... The de, uh, the de facto ruling imperial dynasty of China. 
So his position has been totally consolidated. All his opposition has been removed, more or less. And there was the very unedifying spectacle of the removal of former President Mr. Hu Jintao from this event. Very public and kind of humiliating spectacle. He is the former general secretary of the, of the Chinese Communist Party, a very elderly man. He was removed by, by two plain clothes uh, guys, strong guys, who lifted him up and pulled him out. So that was quite strange, quite unedifying, kind of humiliating for Mr. Hu Jintao. It he was sitting right next to Mr. Xi Jinping and this happened. Anyway, they have tried to explain it off in a variety of ways, but that's what happened during this event, the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. And Mr. Xi Jinping has consolidated his power. He is in for a new, for a third term, which has never happened before. He is essentially the emperor of China now. Um, in October, you had elections in Brazil. Mr. Lula da Silva has defeated the incumbent leader, Mr. Jair Bolsonaro, in a runoff election. Uh, neither candidate was able to secure a majority in the first round of voting. So now, there, so then there was a runoff election and Mr. Lula was able to defeat Mr. Jair Bolsonaro and he is soon going to become the new leader of Brazil where, uh, as, as per the, the procedure. In November, we had a legislative election in Israel. So Israel also has a kind of revolving door kind of situation when it comes to the prime ministership. Mr. Naftali Bennett was originally a couple of years ago, Mr. Netanyahu, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu was the prime minister. Then Mr. Naftali Bennett became the prime minister. Then Mr. Yair Lapid became the prime minister. Now there was this election in November in Israel. And the result of the election was that a Netanyahu-led coalition was able to secure the majority. And just a couple of days ago, just yesterday, Mr. Netanyahu was sworn in as the new prime minister of Israel. He is described by the West, by the BBC and other, other publications, as a very hardline right-wing prime minister. And yeah, well, they don't seem to like him very much for whatever reason. Yeah. So anyway, Mr. Netanyahu is back in the saddle as the Prime Minister of Israel. And as we know, he shares a very good, strong, warm relationship with India's Prime Minister, Mr. Modi. So that, that uh, augurs well for the India-Israel relationship going forward. And like I have said many times, I would like the India-Israel relationship to grow stronger and more robust in the future. We have a significant convergence of geopolitical interests, and we should certainly take advantage of that for in a, in, a, in a way that is mutually beneficial for both nations. So Mr. Netanyahu is back in the saddle and let's see how that goes. But overall, it's, it's, it's a good sign for the India-Israel relationship. In November, we had the US midterm elections. Yeah. And the result, uh, I've spoken about this at length. The Republicans were able to win the lower house. The Democrats were able to retain the Senate, the upper house. Yeah. So one of the uh, surprises is that uh, was that this was not the the elections did not end up as a red wave as uh, former president trump had predicted it was supposed to be a red wave the republicans were supposed to sweep the house and the senate they lost the senate and they barely won the lower house yeah but they are now in control of the lower house yes and mr trump is kind of diminished as the as the largest or, or the or the tallest leader of the Republican Party, yeah, because it was under his leadership that this red sweep was supposed to happen, which did not happen. So it's kind of diminished his stature. 
the Republicans are now in control of the lower house. And I had predicted that once they win the lower house, they will launch investigations into the, the conduct of the democratic current democratic government of of the US under the leadership leadership of Mr. Joe Biden. And that's exactly what happened just for five, six days after they won, they launched the first set of investigations. So that's something that happened in November. In mid-November, November 15, 16, we had the G20 summit in Bali. Yes. Uh, the budget of the G20 summit was about 700 billion Indonesian rupees, rupiahs for the entire package of G20 events. It was held in Bali in Indonesia under the leadership of the presidency of Indonesia. So uh, from our perspective, Mr. Modi met with Mr. various world leaders, including Mr. Biden. Uh, Mr. Modi also very briefly spoke with President Xi Jinping of China, a brief informal chat for a couple of minutes uh, during an official event. Uh, so that was the first... Uh, initiative taken by either leader to kind of break the ice between the two nations. So Mr. Modi took the initiative of standing up and going up to Mr. Xi and having a brief conversation with, with, with Mr. Xi Jinping. That's what happened. There was a most significant event from our perspective that came out of uh, the G20 summit in Bali. The other interesting event is that at the same time, there was this Ukrainian missile strike in Poland, which killed a uh, at least a couple of Polish civilians. And the Ukrainians tried to claim that it was a Russian missile strike. Yeah, they lied. They knew what had happened. They tried to essentially spark off World War III. And there was an emergency meeting in Bali, which was headed by headed by Mr. Biden and his various vassals were present around him. Mr. Olaf Scholz of Germany, uh, Mr. Rishi Sunak, who looked very happy, Monsieur Macron of France, um, Madame Giorgia Meloni of Italy, and various other leaders. Yeah, G7 and EU leaders uh, uh, were there. Um, and thankfully, there was no uh, precipitation of hostilities and everyone realized it is the Ukrainians who have launched this missile attack and they're lying and they're claiming it's Russia. So that was something that happened in during the G20 summit. In November this year, we had the Nepalese general election the, the for a new government, for a new prime minister. In the Nepalese uh, setup, political setup, you have a House of Representatives, which is which is the parliament, which has 275 members. 165 members are elected through direct voting. You go and vote, yeah. About 110 are elected through proportional electoral system, whatever that means. And in the in the in the House of Representatives, you need 138 seats for the majority. So the, the government, the Prime Minister was Mr. Sher Bahadur Deuba, who was the Prime Minister since July 2021. Uh, he was the leader of the Nepali Congress and the coalition uh, of various allies, the CPN, Communist Party of Nepal, Maoist, Maoist Center, the Communist Party of Nepal, Unified Socialist, and so on. This is a pro... So Mr. Sher Bahadur Deva is a pro-India uh, politician, yes. His coalition won 89 seats. The opposition alliance, the pro-China alliance of, of Mr. K.P. Sharma Oli, it won and it won 78 seats. Yeah. So neither was able to reach the, the halfway mark of 138. And the third largest party was the party of Mr. Pushpa Kumar Dahal, or also known as Comrade Prachanda, the Communist Party of Nepal Maoist Center, which won 49 seats. And now, as a result of all of this and the various politicking, politicking and horse trading that happens, Mr. Pushpa Kumar Dahal, Comrade Prachanda, is now the Prime Minister. Yeah, uh, He was part of the coalition of Mr. Sher Bahadur Deoba. 
which is a pro india coalition so now there is speculation whether mr whether the chinese have been able to influence the elections whether they have been able to engineer this 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 uh, turnaround that mr prachanda is now the prime minister time will tell what's actually happening but it is nepal is a strategically important nation for india we cannot allow too much chinese influence within that nation it is all because of the, the fault of previous indian governments in the 1980s and 1990s that we have reached the situation the constitutional monarchy that nepal had was destroyed and the maoists and pro china elements have now have now a very large stake in nepalese politics so eventually india will have to take care of nepal because we cannot allow nepal to go the way of tibet and the chinese are already encroaching on significant portions of nepalese territory as we speak right now so at the end of the day just like bhutan nepal has to be india's responsibility the nepalese may or may not like india that's the, that that is immaterial we cannot allow nepal to go the tibet way yeah so that is something that india will have to keep in mind and this is a situation that india needs to keep a very close watch on in december what happened tawang happened the india china border clash in arunachal pradesh near the tawang uh, sector yeah so the chinese as usual the chinese so called pla people's liberation army which i like to call the people's enslavement army they tried to encroach into the indian territory so the border is kind of undemarcated neither side has agreed it is all thanks to china that the border is undemarcated they have repeatedly refused to to sit down and negotiate and demarcate the border once and for all so as a result both sides claim certain territories and both sides have like they say certain perceptions of the territory and the chinese tried to come tried to encroach into indian territory and as a result there was a scuffle a uh, hand to hand combat or whatever through using using melee weapons melee weapons you know like typically a melee weapon is something you don't throw it's not a, something you can throw as a projectile is a range weapon that includes guns and all that melee weapons are sticks and clubs and things like that so there was a clash using malay weapons the the chinese had a numeric numerical superiority initially but they were not aware of the fact that india was able to bring in reinforcements reinforcements very rapidly and then the tide turned and the chinese suffered a significant beating we don't know exactly what's been told is that both sides suffered some injuries nothing very serious there are reports that the chinese suffered catastrophic injuries as in broken skulls and opened skulls which essentially means death but no report has been made public so that is something that happened in december so now understand this india china relations were terrible very poor since 2020 after the galwan clash which was instigated and initiated by the chinese yeah then in the g20 summit yeah during the g20 summit mr modi in november took the initiative to break the ice and speak with mr uh, xi jinping in an effort to kind of to to start normalizing relations between india and china and j- less than a month later the chinese they 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 create this new provocation this new aggression so essentially mr xi jinping is rebuffing the the attempt by india by mr modi to kind of ameliorate the relationship between india and china it looks like he wants the relationship to stay bad yeah 
So that is what happened in December. The Chinese have suffered a beating, as they usually do. There are their soldiers aren't the best quality, yeah, and and so on. So, so the relationship between India and China is back to where it was. It's bad again. Yeah. The other thing that came out of twenty twenty two is the possibility of the expansion of BRICS. So lots of nations have applied to become part of BRICS. Algeria, Argentina, Iran, Indonesia have applied to become part of uh, to become uh, members of the BRICS coalition. BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. The real main powerful nations, the, the core nations are Russia, India, China, RIC. So these other nations now want to become part of BRICS. Algeria, Argentina, Indonesia and Iran and other nations are also interested such as Saudi Arabia like Turkey, Kazakhstan, Nicaragua, Egypt, Afghanistan, Senegal, the UAE. I believe Thailand is also very interested. Nigeria also. So BRICS is certainly very, very uh, attractive to essentially the non-Western nations. Nations that do not wish to become, to remain under the boot of the G20, of the G7 nations, of the NATO nations, of the EU nations. Yeah, essentially nations in Africa which seek independence. Africa is still completely colonized, whether you know it or not. They will teach you in your history lessons and textbooks that uh, the colonization, the era of colonization was before World War One and World War Two. That is not true. Africa is still entire, almost entirely colonized. Yes. So various nations across the world would like to to see a new global order or 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 an alternative to the existing order emerge and that is why BRICS is so attractive to many of these nations of course for for BRICS to work India and China need to find a way of coexisting harmoniously and peacefully to some extent which is not the case right now yeah but but, but that's something that came out of the year 2022 and of course there were many other events in 2022 there were coups and regime changes in Africa in South America, etc., that I have not covered. Obviously, I cannot talk for hours. So many things happened. So there were coups and regime change operations in Africa, in South South America. If you're interested, look it up. Yeah, there were elections in various nations that have thrown up various kinds of governments. There were elections in various Indian states. We, of course, had the football World Cup, the T20 World Cup, various sporting events. So lots and lots has happened in 2022. I cannot cover it all, but please don't say that I have forgotten to say something. I have chosen to cover certain specific events there's a lot more there is a lot more that has happened and i have not forgotten anything i've i've only uh, chosen to cover certain things so lots has happened uh now i would like to talk about uh, what could happen in 2023 what what do we need to keep an eye on but before we do that let's take a look at what the russians have to say about this uh let me put something on the screen so what do we have so, uh, Mr. Dmitry Medvedev, in case you don't know, Mr. Dmitry Medvedev is the current deputy chairman of the Security Council of Russia, and he was the president of Russia uh, between 20, 2008 and 2012. Uh, he was the placeholder president of Russia. The real power is obviously Mr. Putin. So, here is Mr. Medvedev's predictions about what could happen in 2023. I tweeted about it. I said it's an epic, funny thread, mostly absurd and worth a read. And many people said that, asked me why I think it's absurd. Many people disagreed with me. So let's analyze what Mr. Medvedev is saying. Uh, he says that the oil price will rise to $150 a barrel and gas price will top five, $5 per cubic meters, 5,000 per cubic meters. I'm not sure, 1,000 cubic meters. Uh, 
it is a possibility certainly oil prices could rise significantly especially if the russians link the price of oil to the price of gold which is linked to the price of the ruble if they do that the oil prices could rise significantly and so could gold prices and the value of the russian ruble so yes oil and gas is something the russians can actually control so it could happen what is the oil price right now what is the price of oil right now let's let's take a, a look at oilprice.com what does it say oilprice.com what does oil price uh, so the brent crude is currently at 84.22 dollars per barrel that's the price of brent crude and we have the other crudes also natural gas is 4417 uh per unit and so on so it is certainly possible that this prediction prediction number 1 could come true it is a possibility it's not something you should laugh at the uk will rejoin the eu i don't see that happening the uk exited from the eu as 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 part of the brexit process now we know that the uk is controlled remotely from across the atlantic by the us so what's the point of removing it from the eu and bringing it back into into the eu i find it unlikely to happen that the EK, that the uk will rejoin the eu um the eu will collapse after the uk's return euro will drop out of use as the former eu currency that i believe is unlikely because for that for number 3 to happen number 2 needs to happen the euro uh will still remain a major currency but its value could depreciate definitely uh, number 4 is poland and hungary will occupy western regions of the formerly existing ukraine um that could possibly happen for that to happen the russians will need to occupy everything west of the regions adjacent to poland and hungary which could certainly happen in the coming months it could certainly happen the russians are capable of doing that you know taking kiev let's go to the map very quickly do we have a map somewhere do we have a map uh let me stop the screen and put the map on the screen and uh, where are we here's the map so here is ukraine so if the russians take over they have taken much of donbas if they take odessa the cut off access to the black sea for ukraine and then they take uh, you know kharkiv and dnepro and even kiev then the western region the western part of ukraine could possibly become eventually part of poland or hungary they could possibly take it over if the americans allow them to do that we have to understand that uh, we have to understand that poland and hungary are both eu member states so they will not be able to do anything without the approval of the true power within the european union which is the united states so it is an unlikely possibility but you cannot completely rule that out number 5 is really funny <laughs> the fourth reich will be created encompassing the territory of germany and its satellites poland baltic states czechia slovakia kiev republic and other outcasts you know the th- the fourth reich the last reich was the third reich under the nazi uh, regime of adolf hitler um as we know germany is a us vassal like is as is every other eu or nato nation uh, germany is under permanent us military occupation germany doesn't have any leader that could have the wherewithal to take germany in an independent direction so i think that this tweet is meant to be humorous it is not an actual prediction uh if a fourth reich does emerge it could emerge only if the americans give the directive 
for that to happen. So I think that's very unlikely and it's most likely a humorous prediction. A war will break out between France and the Fourth Reich. <laughs> Europe will be divided, Poland repartition in the process. Uh, that is obviously very unlikely. For that, the Fourth Reich has to be created. And France has to be an independent nation with an independent foreign policy, which it is not quite the, not quite so. So once again, that is a humorous prediction. Northern Ireland will separate from the UK and join Republic of Ireland. That can happen only if the Americans allow that to happen. Yeah, Civil war would break out in the US. California and Texas becoming independent states. That is not going to happen in the next foreseeable future, which by which I mean next 5-10 years, it's impossible for that to happen. Texas and Mexico will form an allied state. Elon Musk will win the presidential election in a number of states after the civil war's end will be given to the GOP. Uh, it's, it's, it's meant to be funny and humorous. All the largest stock markets and financial activity will leave the US and Europe and move to Asia. Some of that could definitely happen in 2023 with the rise of India and other uh, other Asian economies that could certainly happen. But I don't see all of it leaving the US and Europe and moving entirely to Asia. The Bretton Woods system of monetary management will collapse, leading to the IMF and World Bank crash. Euro and dollar will stop circulating as the global reserve currencies. Digital fiat currencies will be actively used instead. Um, some of that could happen. The Bretton Woods system obviously ended sometime in the 1970s, yes. But what the system that we have today is is a essentially a continuation of that. Uh, the, the US dollar was unpegged from the price of gold. It, 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 it became the petrodollar. That's what happened uh, in the 1970s when Mr. Nixon was the president of the US and Mr. Kissinger was the secretary of state. So some... This is a desired end state for Russia for the IMF and World Bank crash and the euro and dollar to stop circulating as a reserve currency. Some of that could possibly happen in 2023, especially if a BRICS currency is created, which is tied to a basket of commodities, which are a real world in nature, as opposed to the debt that the US dollar is tied to. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, Elon, Elon Musk rep, uh, responded and various other people responded. I think this is mainly a humorous thread. It's it's meant to be humorous. And some of it betrays what the, what the Russians would like to see happen in the world eventually. But it's very unlikely for that to happen in 2023 itself, which is why I said that this is, uh, this is essentially mostly absurd. Yeah. Uh, all right. So some of these things or many of these things could eventually end up end up happening. But to say that it will all happen in 2023 is really genuinely absurd. It could happen possibly over a 10-year horizon. Some of it could happen over a 2-year, 3-year horizon. Some of it could happen over a 5-year horizon. Some of it over 10 to 20 years. And some of it may never happen. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. Mostly it was about it was about creating a humorous and funny thread. So, Mr. Medvedev has certainly succeeded from that perspective. It is indeed a humorous and funny thread that he has created on now. So that's about Mr. Medvedev. Now, what are the things that could happen in 2023? Please understand, I am not making predictions. I am making, I am speculating. So the speculation is like this. We know what the world looks like today. We know what the parameters are. We know what the major nations and powers want. We know the various forces that are currently playing against each other in various parts of the world. We know 
which system is predominant. We know there is the possibility of the creation of a different system, parallel system, competing system. These are the possibilities that could ensue. This is mainly informed speculation. It is not predictions. Yeah. So what could happen in 2023? First of all, there could be like we have discussed lots of times a major military, major winter offensive, military offensive by Russia in Ukraine. Because the Rasputitsa season has ended and now there is a specific time window of, of two or maximum three months in which the Russians can make a move, a major move to uh, achieve whatever objectives they have in Ukraine. So one could see there is a high likelihood and now analysts across the world are now, are now saying this. There is a high likelihood of a major Russian winter military offensive in Ukraine that could potentially change the map of the Ukraine region, possibly for a very long time, if not permanently. So that, that is something that could happen definitely in January or February, yeah, most likely. What else could happen in 2023? Uh, we had the, the US midterm elections, yes. The Republicans have won the lower house, the house, they call it, uh, and they have launched an initial set of investigations. I think 2023 could be the year of investigations. The Republicans could launch lots and lots of elections, uh, investigations, and try to impede everything the 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 Democratic the Democrats try to do. Yeah, they could essentially stalemate the functioning of the government, turning Joe Biden into a lame duck president, and they could launch all kinds of investigations into the conduct of the Democratic Party. Recently, we had the FTX trading uh, scam. Uh, FTX Trading Limited is a company that was that is owned by Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried, right? It's a cryptocurrency exchange, a crypto hedge fund. It has gone bankrupt. It's a massive scam. It has essentially led to the crash of, of the crypto markets. Yeah. So there could be an investigation into that, into, into the dealings of FTX, into, into the uh, relationship that Sam Bankman-Fried has with the Republican Party. What kind of money was exchanged, all that. There could be that. There could be more investigations into the president's son, Mr. Hunter Biden, the laptop thing and all that. There could be investigations into the various deals that Joe Biden has had in China, in Ukraine, the various Biden family deals in various parts of the world, in, especially in China and Ukraine. There could be an investigation into the botched into the disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the way the the withdrawal was was conducted was terrible. Yeah, so there could be investigations into that. There could be investigations into Mr. into Dr. Fauci, into the Pfizer vaccine, into the the myocarditis deaths, the 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 deaths because of blood clots. How effective or efficacious this vaccine is, how dangerous the vaccine is, is all of this data has now come to light. It is no longer a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So there could be investigations into that. So I think 2023 could very much end up being the year of investigations and investigations designed to prevent the Democratic Party from functioning and running the country properly. Mr. Joe Biden could end up becoming a lame duck president who was able to achieve nothing. And the Democrats may be, may, may be able to push no legislation through, which could essentially paralyze the government, the functioning of the government. So that is something we could see in the year 2023. Now, talking about the US and the midterms, 2024 is going to be the election year in the US. Yeah. The next presidential election is going to be held in 2024. So 
2023 is definitely going to be the year of the presidential election campaign, which is going to be kicked off into high gear. It's going to be a, a year of many presidential announcements. Lots of candidates will throw their hats into the ring. We know that Trump has already announced his presidential, his presidential candidature for 2024. We have Ron DeSantis, who could be his prime challenger, or if, if, if not the prime challenger, the prime candidate from the Republicans, eclipsing. Trump, possibly. Yeah. Uh, from the Democratic Party, we have names like Gavin Newsom that are making the doing the rounds. There is also the possibility. I mean, look at Mr. Joe Biden. Is he competent to run a nation? Is he in the right state of mind? Or is he already senile? You can you see him every day. He's not, he doesn't even know what he's doing at times. And Kamala Harris. The less we say about the lady, the better, because she has proven herself to be completely clueless about everything she, that she speaks about. Yeah. So the Democratic Party is now in a bind. Traditionally, the sitting president, if he if he has completed one term, will run for election again. That's traditionally how it has always been. So Mr. Joe Biden has the right to run for for election again. He'll be well into his 80s by the time 2024 comes around. There is the strong possibility, I believe, that the Democratic Party, the Democrats, will turn on Biden through the mainstream media. So by, by mid-23 or something, you could start seeing lots and lots of media reports and stories coming out that Mr. Biden is, is either mentally unfit or is is has not performed well enough or whatever. Yeah. And it could happen that he may be made to step down or resign or announce that he will not stand for re-election. That is a possibility that we have to keep keep in mind. I think there is a strong chance that Mr. Biden will not run in 24 and neither will the lady Kamala Harris. There is a strong possibility that the Democrats may throw up a whole new set of candidates. Yeah. So that's uh, that's something that could uh, certainly happen. So let's keep an eye on this. 2023 could be the year of a global recession, all precipitated by the Ukraine conflict. You know, oil prices could rise. It's, it's a possibility. Petroleum products could see the prices rise. There could be a food shortage because of what's happening in Ukraine. And the global south, so-called third world nations, especially in Africa, could suffer the most from this. Uh, there could be a shortage of various commodities. So there is a, a, a strong likelihood of a global recession, which could also affect India. Yeah. So that is something that uh, is a possibility in 2023. When it comes to India, the Indian economy has now emerged from the uh, COVID pandemic era. The economy is doing well, quite well. It is the best performing economy among all the major nations, the large nations. Yeah. So we could see economic growth in India along the same lines in 2023. I expect India's economic growth to, to remain strong. I expect a, a, a strong emphasis on made in India. I think there is going to be a further exodus from China from the manufacturing perspective. Yeah, China has this terrible COVID situation which is still going on. Manufacturing has taken a major hit. The Chinese economy has taken a major hit. I believe more and more companies will try to exit China. And then the alternative is India. So there could be a growth 
of in in the made in india uh, uh, sector so you could see more and more american companies and other nations companies coming to india and setting up manufacturing plants and operations within india which is a great thing for the indian economy so i believe the indian economy will keep doing well despite the possibility of a re- of a recession in the year 2023 now talking about the economy we have the indian rupee we have spoken about this i think in the previous episode or the one before that uh, we now have the rupee trade settlement mechanism that various nations have started using which means that these nations can use rupees instead of dollars for international transactions in trade sri lanka has already announced that it's doing this mauritius is already part of this and other nations like tajikistan luxembourg sudan cuba etc are strongly interested in the rupee trade settlement mechanism in u- using rupees instead of dollars or other currencies for international trade yeah russia has also now started foreign trade settlements in indian rupees and in the chinese yuan and in the in, in the russian ruble so one of the three major currencies that the russians are using is the indian rupee for foreign trade settlements what does it mean it means that any nation that wants to purchase russian oil can now pay russia using indian rupees that is a major step forward for the indian rupee which now makes it one of the major international currencies so i expect this to be taken forward in the year 2023 i would say i expect that more nations especially smaller nations especially nations with smaller economies will start gravitating towards using the indian rupee for international uh, trade settlements and all that so this again augurs well for the indian economy uh, the indian upi system unified payment in, payments interface is now being adopted slowly and gradually by various nations you could see that also continuing in 2023 so overall things look good for the indian rupee for the indian economy for indian manufacturing and for india overall from the economic perspective which is very important for india because like i keep saying india has to anyhow keep on growing its economy this is non negotiable for the next 10 years minimum india's economy has to grow at 7 8 9 10% 10%. maybe 10% is too far too high a barrier too 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 far ashore but at least minimum 7% 8% it has to happen so we are most likely on track for that and the indian government needs to keep on performing along these lines yeah um from the perspective of china this could be a hard year for them their economy is not doing well uh, the covid pandemic has been disastrous for china the reason for this is that the chinese vaccine doesn't work the chinese vaccine is perhaps the worst of all the vaccines that various nations have developed yes and if you see india everyone is vaccinated no one cares anymore the situation is back to normal the the nation is open again back open for business the economy is is performing very well and nobody really thinks too much about the pandemic anymore except when the media tries to create a panic yeah the indian media has this propensity of trying to engineer artificial panics yeah but we know that the indian covid vaccine is if not the best then one of the very best vaccines available in the world right now and the vaccines that india has used apart from the indian vaccine whatever vaccines india has used have been good vaccines we have not allowed pfizer to introduce its vaccine into india the rna the mrna vaccine so india has done the right things india has emerged with its reputation greatly enhanced 
out of the coronavirus pandemic the chinese have emerged have not even emerged from the pandemic their reputation has been well it's turned to dust the world believed that the chinese scientists are the best in the world or among the best in the world well look at the virus the, the vaccine they have produced a terrible vaccine a highly inefficacious vaccine because of which they have had to impose these horrific lockdowns these inhumane lockdowns on people across the nation now they've kind of given up they've opened up the country and now we are seeing this terrible spread of the virus all across the country and well the media is projecting all kinds of horror stories for china one hopes it doesn't affect them too badly but this is going to be a hard year ahead for china because of all the lockdowns and all the all the steps they have taken the economy has essentially crawled to a stop the gdp growth could be negative if not very small very minuscule manufacturing has taken a huge hit chinese exports have taken a huge hit which is why this is advantage india but china is facing a hard year ahead mr xi jinping is facing a hard year ahead and it's possibly because of these hardships that the chinese people are experiencing that he has tried to divert the attention of china in the form of the border clash in arunachal pradesh in which again they have come out second best so it's a hard year for china ahead and and the us could take actions against china in the trade war they could ban the chinese app tiktok there is a strong very vociferous demand in the us for banning tiktok that it's ruining american society and and so on so this could be a hard year ahead of ahead for china in a variety of ways if the chinese become too desperate as a result of this you could see chinese attempts at 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 mischief along the indian border along the india tibet border so india will have to be very alert when it comes to this china is not doing well but on the other hand you have the possibility of an expanded brics which could help china the chinese their belt and road inter- initiative is dead they would like to restart it if possible they could use they could leverage the expanded brics group as a means of doing that they could uh, try to look at the maldives they could like to they could try to look at afghanistan possibly china definitely iran definitely saudi arabia they would like to restart their bri initiative belt and road initiative the maritime silk road all that yeah so brics could be a vehicle that they could attempt to leverage for that and there is the possibility of an expanded brics in 2023 like i said a bunch of nations have already applied argentina iran indonesia algeria have already applied so the saudis are showing a great deal of interest the turks the egyptians afghanistan kazakhstan thailand uae and so many other nations i mean so many nations see brics as a very attractive alternative to the current rules based internet international order which is essentially run by the americans per their whims and fancies so so the saudis could gravitate towards brics which is not good news for the for the for the imperial alliance the united states and their rules based alliance which could mean that they could attempt a re- regime change in saudi arabia we are already seeing the publication of various articles in the western media in the english speaking media which are critical of mohammed bin salman the crown prince of saudi arabia so you could see the possibility a possible regime change operation in the middle east possibly or uh, maybe 2023 could be the year of a major middle east crisis Uh, a flare up of tensions in the middle east which could possibly involve uh, syria maybe iraq maybe maybe yemen maybe israel maybe iran we don't know but 
it could possibly be the year of a major Middle East crisis. And obviously, we know who who instigates these crises, right? So, uh, and of course, when it comes to BRICS, there is the possibility that a BRICS currency may be introduced in 2023, which could be a significant competitor to the petrodollar, especially if this new BRICS currency is tied, is linked to a basket of actual real-world commodities like, like gold, like oil as well, and, and graphite and uranium and various other things. Real-world commodities, not just debt. Yeah, What is debt? It is the promise that the Americans give you, that this dollar, the dollar is valuable. And so on. So, um, so uh, that is the possibility we could have an expanded BRICS, the beginning of an expanded BRICS. This 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 process could be set off in 2023. And if BRICS is able to introduce a, a, a currency of its own, that would be very interesting, and that would be a major challenge to the U.S. petrodollar. When it comes to the India-China relationship, we should expect more tensions between India and China. We could expect possibly uh, we could expect possibly more tensions along the india tibet border yeah so the indian uh, the indian government the indian military will have to remain on constant alert and we will have to enhance our military capabilities learn the lessons of the azerbaijan armenia conflict learn the lessons of the ukraine conflict and we need to incorporate those learned lessons into our military capabilities and practices. So India needs to be really alert vis-a-vis -vis China and of course vis-a-vis -vis Pakistan. But Ch Pakistan is not that much of a danger. China is the real threat along the India-Tibet border. If the Chinese get desperate, they could try to foment some trouble. And they obviously the Chinese as well as the Americans would like to see a new government come to power in India in 2024. They are not happy with the fact that the current government and the Prime Minister Modi has a very strong, robust in, and completely independent foreign policy. They are prioritizing India's national interest over the national interest and the interests of the of the Americans and all that, and the Chinese. So that's a possibility, yeah? So we need to keep a close eye on this. What about Taiwan? I don't see the Chinese invading Taiwan most likely this year. The the process of of relocating the core group of the TS, the core capabilities of TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, has not yet ended. That process is still going on. Once the core capabilities of TSMC are relocated to the US, then Taiwan becomes expendable, and yet. Taiwan is still, even without TSMC, it is still a vital strategic asset for the US in ring fencing China, the Chinese Navy. So I don't think the Americans will give up Taiwan that easily. Yeah. The Secretary of Defense or whoever it is, Mr. Blinken, made some silly statements in which he said that the Americans can only safeguard one ally at a time. So either Ukraine or Taiwan, that sort of statement was made, which was, I think, a very weak statement. But there we are. So I believe it is unlikely that the Chinese will invade Taiwan this year, but it's definitely on the horizon. Eventually, they would like to do that. Most likely not this year. China, Japan, you could see more tensions this year. The Japanese are are, are ramping up their military budget. They have uh, increased their military budget by more than 26% this year. Yeah, That will definitely set off alarm bells in China. The Chinese do fear Japan. Japan is technologically way ahead of China. It is the most technologically advanced nation and society in the world. They are a dormant nuclear power. If the Americans allow them, they can become a nuclear power next week. Yeah, 
the Japanese. They have the capability for, 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 to do that. They have an extremely sophisticated space program, which means they have they can produce very sophisticated ballistic missiles. They have some of the best submarines in the world. So the Chinese, they may not say it openly, but they fear Japan. So the Japanese are now ramping up their military budget, which is going to set off alarm bells. In China, there could be more hostilities, whether it's at the diplomatic level or whether it's in the in the in the, in the sense of uh, in the form of Chinese uh, encroachments into Japanese territory through their planes and and, and naval assets, etc. You could see more of that happening this year. Yeah, um, Twitter. So Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, and 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 let, let's talk about that. So what we find is that Elon Musk has now taken over Twitter, and he has essentially exposed what was happening in Twitter. There was all this misgovernance happening in Twitter. All the corruption that the whole world essentially suspected was there at the hands of Mr. Jack Dorsey, Miss Vijaya Gade, Mr. Parag Agarwal. These people were running Twitter and they were, it was a deeply corrupt organization. There was all this censorship that was rampant and rife in Twitter, which essentially targeted the non left, the non liberals. Yeah, liberal, I mean, into quotes, liberal. It was essentially very politically guided yeah uh, twitter 99% of the twitter staff voted democrat democratic yeah there were democratic voters democratic party yeah so in the us there is a law which says there is legislation that says that you cannot be biased when you're hiring people based on their political inclinations and yet the hiring was all based on political inclinations right so corruption misgovernance censorship, uh, blatant political bias. The, the Twitter files that have been coming out has also revealed that there was significant electoral in interference in the 2020 US presidential elections. It's also revealed the, the deep involvement of the US FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation into Twitter. It's all been outed in public under the guidance and leadership of Elon Musk. It's all available on Twitter. Go and look it up. It's not something I'm inventing. It's all there on Twitter. The Twitter files. Search for the hashtag Twitter files and various uh, journalists, etc. Are, are working on it and they are revealing new batches of information every few days. So all this has come out in the public and also about COVID, you know, the COVID files and all that. The funny thing is that nothing new has come out. Whatever has been revealed as part of the Twitter files disclosures, is what everybody suspected all along. Nothing new, nothing surprising, nothing shocking has come out. Yeah. So let's take it. And, and now we find that Elon Musk is being portrayed as some kind of savior. Let's take, let's take a look at what's happening, shall we? Where is it? Okay. Um, so Elon Musk claims that every social media company is engaged in heavy censorship with significant involvement of and at, at times explicit government of, uh, explicit direction of the US government. Google frequently makes links disappear, for example. Everyone knows this. There is no new revelation in what is being said, said over here. There is this person who uh, Mr. Musk often retweets. He says that Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple and Microsoft have betrayed you. They sold out to the deep state. Their products and services are used to spy on you and to manipulate you. They are co-conspirators in some of the biggest crimes against humanity, but not Twitter. But not Twitter. 
Matt Wallace says Elon Musk is the only social media billionaire who cares about us more than himself. So you are seeing that now Twitter and Elon Musk are being positioned as the only safe alternative. And to make you believe this, they are now revealing all the Twitter files and what everybody has anyway suspected all along. There is no new surprise that has come out. No surprising revelation. Once again, this uh, Twitter may become a very lucrative investment because it's a free speech alternative opposed to deep state controlled propaganda media. Why would anyone use anyone else? And so on. Elon Musk is a whistleblower who paid $44 billion to share the truth about evil doers around the world. Such a generous gift. Thank you, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is fighting for freedom harder than the Democratic and Republican Party combined. Oh, wow. Understatement of the year. Elon Musk saved 2022. Assange, Snowden, Musk. So Elon Musk is now being elevated to the, to the level of uh, Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. Elon Musk says that with rare exception, the FBI seems to want to do the right thing. But there is no question that Twitter operated as a Democratic Party activist machine. Elon Musk says, I am overall very much pro-FBI. The agency does a great deal of important work protecting the public. That said, no organization is perfect and part of the FBI obviously overreached with respect to online censorship and so on and so forth. What's happening now is that they are portraying Twitter 1.0, the Twitter which was pre-Elon Musk as the corrupt, dirty, censorious organization. But now after Twi uh, Elon Musk has taken over, Twitter is the only safe alternative. All the other social media platforms have betrayed you. They are, they are sold out. They are sold out to the deep state. Yeah, that's what's being said. Elon Musk is being is being portrayed as the great savior. And they are now trying to convince you that the, the, the Twitter that we have now is completely clean. Now the FBI is not involved. And of course, Elon Musk says that he is very much pro-FBI and overall they are good. So what's most likely, and, and whatever revelations have happened are in no way surprising. It's what everybody suspected all along the past two, three years. Everyone knew what kind of censorship was there on Twitter. Everyone knew they were targeting non the non-left accounts. Everyone knew what, what they were doing in India. Everyone knew that the U.S. government is involved in this and they are using Twitter as a geopolitical, geopolitical tool of influence and so on. Everyone knew that the, 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 the uh, Pfizer vaccine is extremely unsafe and dangerous and that everyone knew what Fauci was up to. All of this has been revealed, but there is no real surprise or shock in anything that's been revealed. So there, this is a new influence operation, that's what I feel, to make you believe that Twitter is now clean it is now the only free platform for, for, for real free speech. And we need to be careful about this. Yeah. So don't believe what they are trying to make you believe. Most likely, this is a new influence operation. Yeah. So that's about Twitter. What about Pakistan, Afghanistan? I believe that in 2023, the Pakistan-Afghanistan relationship will go, will deteriorate, deteriorate even further. Uh, as, we are see, as we are seeing right now, there are significant tensions along the Durand line, the de facto border between Pakistan and Afghanistan, which the Taliban does not recognize. The Taliban claims Pakistani territory, maybe rightfully. Yeah. So I expect that 2023 will see more tensions along the Durand line and a deterioration in the Pakistan-Afghanistan relationship. What about back home? Um, I expect that in 2023, Bollywood will slide further into irrelevance. Yeah. 
and i believe that in 2023 uh, alternative film industry film industries will rise we have seen the rise of the south south uh, southern film industries uh, movies like bahubali movies like uh, rrr movies like kantara etc i would like to see other film industries also produce quality content there are lots of different play, parts of india where you have movie industries it would be good it would be great if indians start exploring those as well yeah bollywood i expect will slide further into irrelevance and i expect that people will start exploring alternative and other sources of entertainment so that's what i expect will happen in 2023 2023 is also a very important year politically for india it's the we're going to witness the run up to the 2024 general elections in india yeah so it's a very political year for india the uh, government of prime minister modi will start making its preparations will start start gearing up for the big electoral uh, campaign in 2024 and 2023 will set the foundation for that so 2023 is going to be a very political year for india and i expect victoria newland to make at least a couple of visits to india if not her then some of her minions you know somebody closely associated with her she is the american regime change expert and the americans i believe would like to see a regime change in india in 2024 india needs to be very careful as to not allow any kind of foreign interference in india's elections so that's for that's something that india needs to be careful about yeah so 2023 is going to be a very political year and we're going to see the nation start gearing up for the big general election in 2024 it's going to be a very important year for india um 2023 is the year of india's g20 presidency it's the chance for india to showcase to the world its achievements its capabilities its potential its soft power whether it is from the cultural perspective whether it is from the perspective of politics from the perspective of governance from the perspective of science it's going to be a, a very important year for india we need to put our best foot forward and show what we are capable of and what our whatever potential is so it's the year of the g20 presidency it's something i'm going to be involved in, in in to some extent at least so let's see how that goes i am very optimistic that india will 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 put forth a, a spectacular performance uh, during its year of the g20 presidency and in 2023 i am personally looking forward to the chandrayaan 3 launch uh, we have had two previous iterations of the chandrayaan a uh, program chandrayaan 1 in 2008 2009 chandrayaan 2 in 2019 which almost which was a partial success and chandrayaan 3 is going to be in 2023 most likely in june 2023 so it's going to be a new mission to the moon it's going to be a lander which will touch down a soft touch down on the moon's surface we need this to happen i wish our scientists our engineers at iso and everybody else involved in this i wish them all the best and i would like to see this succeed it is very important for india to become one of the major space powers because by the end of this century the two or three nations that will lead the world in space exploration will also be the two or three nations that lead the world overall geopol- geopolitically so it is essential for india to not be left behind the last couple of years we have been kind of lax we have been lagging behind not doing much from the space exploration perspective 
we need to start catching up now so chandrayaan 3 is due to be launched this year i wish it great success i am very eagerly looking forward to that we also i also look forward to more progress on the gaganyaan program the indian human space flight program yeah so uh, i believe there's going to be at least one orbital test this year and most likely in 2024 we will have the first human space flight uh, the first crewed mission uh, of the gaganyaan program which would have maybe one two or three astronauts who will do a few orbits of the earth and then return back to the surface of the earth so that's something we expect in 2024 but 2023 is going to be the year in which we prepare make the final preparations for the first crewed mission and there are many other things also that uh, one looks forward to from the isro perspective from the scientific development perspective so it's overall going to be a very important and exciting year for us in india so that is the summary of what i believe could happen in 2023 some of the things that we should look forward to some of the things that could happen and let's see how it goes so with that i come to the end of today's indian interest uh, episode the longest episode thus far yeah so the next episode will be in the year 2023 and the next live stream is on january 1 this sunday that's the next uh, ask abhijit live stream so i look forward to seeing you all in that thank you very much for watching take care and i will see you in the new year in just a couple of days until then take care bye